Corinthians chapter 2. Continue our march through this great book. We are finding, we'll find today, as we found already several times in our study, that there are many passages and many verses that have been uh, taken out of context or perhaps not fully understood by many, and we're trying to work through some of these things. Next week we'll deal with the first three verses of chapter 3 and the carnal Christian theory and what all that's about to try to make sense of all that and explain it. But today we want to deal with just three verses at the end of chapter 2. What does it mean to be uh, a spiritual man, that is to have the... uh, uh, spirit of God in us to be regenerated, and what is that? How does that distinguish from the way we were born into this world, or the natural man who has not the spirit? And again, there's some things that need to be clarified as we go through that. Uh, last week, though, by way of review, we saw that there are only two forms of wisdom: God's revealed in the Scripture. And this world that is revealed in human philosophy, and if I could just maybe explain human philosophy in a sentence, it is man trying to explain things apart from the Bible. But all philosophy is wrong or bad, but when we do so, uh, thinking that that man's reason is, is where we find wisdom, and then we compare the Bible to that, we go into error. Everything must be based upon the Bible first. The fact that there is a God, there's a God who created us, a God who created us in a certain way. As soon as you get away from that, you're going to go off into all sorts of things, as we're seeing today. Any wisdom not based on the Bible and that does not acknowledge the one true God is not wise, it is not based on fact, and it will not offer a worldview that will help us, but will only further condemn us. Once we understand God's revelation, then any knowledge outside of the Bible we can learn can now be used in a successful and God-honoring way. So once you understand the Bible, everything else we learn about this world and in our lives, uh, the Bible helps us understand what to do with that. Then we get ourselves in all sorts of trouble when we get that backwards. We also dealt with a verse, uh, verse 9 here, But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And uh, we saw that this text is speaking of how we are in darkness, born into this world, in ignorance, until the Lord comes to us and gives us light and true understanding. That this is not a reference to how wonderful heaven will be, as wonderful as it is, because verse 10 says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So, heaven is something we're not going to see and understand until we get there. So, it's not talking about that. It's talking about how only when God reaches down and regenerates us do we receive true wisdom and can understand the things of God, which kind of leads us into our subject today. So, that's kind of some of the things that we dealt with last week. Paul has been making it clear that it is through the preaching of the gospel through which God saves sinners foolishness of gospel preaching. It's called foolishness because the world by nature doesn't re- has rejected and doesn't believe it. But when God, God uses that so that when the world, a lost person, does come to faith in Christ, we know that he must have been regenerated. It, uh, God must have worked in his life for that to take place. So 
the gospel honors God and not man. Along with this is the fact that when God alone reveals true wisdom, without which we can know all the facts there are to be known, we still be unable to understand what any of it means unless God reveals himself to us so that we might know the first cause of all things. In our text today, he addresses how the Spirit uses the Word to instruct the saved and why the natural man cannot benefit from the Word of God in any profitable way. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, as he talked about in chapter 1. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned or understood. And uh, that needs to be unpacked a little bit because there's a lot of confusion about how that works. It's an area which is easy, easy to misunderstand exactly why the lost don't understand the Bible. And so today we'll focus on the differences between the natural man and the spiritual man and how each react to God's revelation. It's easy to see spiritual death as almost inconsequential. This is what uh, we call, the Arminian today is really a semi-Pelagian. A Pelagian is is, is named after a Pelagius who lived uh, in the first millennium. Uh, The Pelagian is one who doesn't believe that the fall of Adam was passed on to anybody. So that we're all born like Adam. We're all born perfectly capable of doing good, of understanding God, of, of, of believing in God. Uh, it's all up to us. Just like it was up to Adam to, to either obey or disobey. The fall really hasn't affected us. Well, that's obviously unbiblical. The Arminian today is really technically a semi pelagian They say, yes, all men are affected by the fall, but there's still a little bit of good in it. There's still a little spark of spiritual life in us so that while we are born sinners and we are prone to sin, we still have enough ability to believe in God if presented with the gospel. So there's there's a little bit of goodness in it, a little bit of life, but not, uh, not total life. We're not regenerated. So you see it. Both are completely unbiblical, I believe, but one understands at least that we are affected by fall. And so, some see spiritual death to mean, and there's really two extremes here. You can say that in some way all men have the ability to understand the things of God and react properly in one way or another. And of course, we're, we're saying that the Romans 1 says that all men have gone out of the way, there are none that do it. We're saying, no, there, there's nothing in any natural man that can believe, understand and believe God and obey Him. So you have these two different uh, contrasts, two different errors that go opposite directions. Either that the fall really hasn't affected us all that much, so we're, none of us are truly spiritually dead. Or some see that we're all so dead that we don't understand God at all. And, and that's an error, too, and, and I'll deal with that in just a moment. Paul has already made it clear that there is a power beyond the written word that makes the, the word effectual. We saw that, for instance, in verse 24 of chapter 1. 
elsewhere, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, uh, that the uh, verse 18 for the word of the cross, that is the gospel, is all your foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God. There's something that comes with the gospel to, when God is going to save somebody, he, he sends the power of the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts to understand it and believe it. And that's not present in the man who is spiritually dead, the natural man. But how this is demonstrated or effective is not always understood and I think causes some confusion. The Bible speaks of two ways God has revealed himself to all of us, to the natural man. And that's one way, what we call the natural revelation. But God has also revealed himself to us through his word. That's called special revelation. And, for instance, in Psalm 19, we see natural revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, or there are, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So, the whole world, if you live in this world, the world around you is saying something. Telling you there is a God. It's, it's, it's imparting certain aspects of his majesty and his power to the point that, as we'll see in, in, in Romans 1, you are, you are, uh, you have no excuse not to acknowledge what that natural revelation is saying about God. Romans 1 says that the natural man is suppressing that revelation. But what can be known about God is Plain to them because he's talking about the natural man to all men because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse now I want you to notice that in both cases the natural revelation is clearly understood by the natural man by the fallen man, the person before they're saved. But he refuses to accept or receive what he knows about that. They, they are suppressing the fact. In other words, when you're born in this world, you look around, you're, you're being convinced that there is a God. Something had to do this. And yet the natural man is suppressing that. It's not that they don't understand it. They don't like what it's saying. It's telling you there's a God and you must answer. The natural man wants no part of that. So they suppress it. How do they suppress it? Well, they come up with evolution. And they say, well, yeah, evidence, the evidence is clear that there is intelligent design, but that requires us to acknowledge a God that we are answerable to. So we will suppress that by trying to, uh, through evolution, for instance. So I believe what we're seeing in our text today is that there is a similar thing going on when it comes to the special revelation of God. This is where I think some people kind of go into error. The people believe that the, that the spiritually dead person, the lost person, doesn't understand the Bible at all. And that's just simply not true. What we're going to see here is that he understands all too well what the Bible says, what the 
special revelation of God says, but he's suppressing that as well. He doesn't want any part of it. I think we'll see that it's not that difficult to show. Romans uh, one twenty later on in uh, chapter 1. Excuse me. Uh, says it. Uh, I think I go back to read verse uh, they means eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived but they are suppressing that uh, and, and I don't think I I think that's the verse I meant to uh, I didn't put in there and I should have it's in Romans 1 but let me just have you turned there because I don't want to that's kind of an important verse I've been quoting it but I, I want you to see it Romans chapter 1 uh, verse, verse 18 right for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness unrighteous of man who by their unrighteous suppress the truth and then he goes on to explain what truth they are suppressing right so it isn't like I'm preaching in another language, if a lost person comes into this church, into the service today, it's not, when we say he's spiritually dead, it isn't like he's laying like in a morgue, and people are talking around this cadaver, and the, the cadaver doesn't have any idea what you're saying, he's oblivious to all that, because he's not in the world of the living, right? Well, some people, I think some theologians have, have expressed spiritual deadness in that very sense. Um, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I don't believe that's what's going on here. And I don't use the illustration of preaching in a graveyard. Uh, years ago when I uh, read Author Pink, when I first kind of came to the Doctrines of Grace, and one of the first things I did was read everything from Author Pink, which is, you know, I recommend do that. You've got a lot of good things to say. But one of the things I learned from him that I, I can't go along with anymore is he would. He illustrated uh, preaching the gospel to lost people as preaching in the graveyard. Well, yes and no, uh, because the if you preach the gospel in the graveyard, no one is listening. The sound isn't having any effect, right? We understand what I'm saying. But when I'm preaching to a lost person who's alive, they are understanding what I'm saying. The gospel is a call to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. And they do hear it, but in their natural state, they hate what they're hearing. And they want no part of it, unless God gives them life to understand it and agree with it. You see. There's a little bit different thing going on there. The lost are not inactive. Like the, the person in the graveyard is inactive. The lost are not inactive when they're fighting with the gospel. They are busily denying it and making excuses for refusing it. But they are called, by, biblically, dead in sin. In the sense that they are powerless to give themselves life. They are rebels. We all were rebels. And you cannot, that's why I would say, we're not semi-Pelagian. We don't believe that we have enough goodness in us to decide one day, I think I'll stop being a rebel. I think I'll stop hating God and start loving God. No. You, you, you don't have the ability to change who you are. And so it, your, your spiritual deadness is seen in that you don't like the things of God. As Paul says, you're an enmity, you're enemies of God. 
we might say that on the one hand, he understands what the Bible says all too well. But the problem is not his, uh, I've already gone through this, not that, 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 that did have, yeah, anyway, I think I could have done better than slide. I want you to see, this is the natural man's problem, is that he understands what the Bible says all too well, but his problem is not intellectual inability. It's not that he intellectually can't understand what is being said. It is moral inability. He has no desire for the things of God. He doesn't want to repent of his sin. He hates the message and so rejects it. The word discern in verse 14 is the same word as judge in verse, in verse 15. We'll get to this in a moment. But three times it's used, it's the same word, but the translations don't always use the same word. And we'll, we'll explain that. But it, it's a word that means discern. When it's, in some translations it might be judged. And the idea perhaps that clarifies it is appraisal. The difference in the natural man and the spiritual man is that one appraises the gospel as unworthy. I don't like it. I, you're saying that you're calling me away from this world and myself unto God, and I like this world. I think I'm better off staying here. And so verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand that because they are spiritually appraised. He, he doesn't see God. He doesn't see his sin. He hates those things. So the difference in the natural man and the spiritual man is that one judges the gospel as unworthy of his attention, while the saint who has been regenerated has been given a look at the glory of Christ, a clear look at himself and his need of a Savior, how sinful he is, and he appraises the gospel as his only hope. He sees the wisdom of the gospel that one died for me and I can have his righteousness and not my own, that's my hope. The other says, mm, absolutely not, as chapter 1 talked about. Both understand what is being implied. One rejects it and walks away. The other falls on Christ as his only hope. And what's the difference? It's not anything in us. It's because God has opened up our hearts. All praise goes to the Lord and his power. Chapter 1 has told us why there is no difference at all in us. Now, to be fair, there are many who have no interest in in religion at all, and that's just another form of rebellion. But there are those who come to church and they hear, and they might maybe are religious in some way, but in their hearts they still love themselves. They still uh, trust in themselves in some way. And so there's a couple places in, in the book of John where Jesus, I think, deals with this. He says, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So, it's not that they don't understand, it's just babble to them. But he's saying, why don't you get it? Why don't you react properly to what I'm saying? It's because you can't bear it, you hate it. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard thing. Who then, who can listen to it? And again, they all heard it, but who can listen? Who can understand it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And he said, this is why I told you earlier in the chapter 
that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And this is why I'm not Arminian. This is why I don't believe that we're all born with a little bit of ability to believe because Jesus said, no, no one's going to come and understand and repent unless the Father gives him that necessary power and ability. So you see, the gospel is a threat to the natural man's pride. It's a values problem. But they are no mean oblivious to what's being said, in the same way a corpse is oblivious to the funeral message. A regenerated person sees the word of immense value because he agrees with the assessment of himself. He has been enlightened to see that he is a sinner condemned. And so if someone says, for instance, I'm giving another example, do not discipline your child. Certainly don't tell him that he's a sinner. You need to just let him do whatever he wants to do, develop whatever he's got in him. We know that is foolish because the word of God has told us that your child is a little sinner no matter how cute he is and he needs the gospel. He needs to be transformed by Christ. He needs to be disciplined. He needs to be taught. And to be the same if they told you, oh, there's no God you answer to. No, the Bible has shown us that there is a God as nature has also shown us this. And we know that's foolishness. We appraise that as foolishness. So when we tell the lost to deny himself, to trust the cross of Christ, to follow him, they don't see the value because to them their flesh is far more important to please. And they cannot assess or judge rightly because they're lost in the trespasses and sin. They're spiritually dead. Some express it differently. Some say, no, I've got to do something to please God. I can't trust in Jesus' work alone. I've got to do something. And that's just another form of pride. Another form of rejecting the gospel. So the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians are all about knocking down human pride so that we might glory in the cross. It's kind of like telling a person to jump off the world's bridge and fall into the arms of Jesus. And they say, no, this bridge, I feel much more safe, safer on this bridge in the world than I do with Christ. Jesus, I think, says it well again in uh, chapter 5, verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, there are people who reject Christ because they think far too more of what this world thinks about them or their friends or whoever. And Jesus is saying, as long as that's how you feel, you'll never trust in Jesus himself. Uh, we see here, um, uh, we repeat, and then we'll add to chapter 6, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, no one's going to come until they are enabled, empowered by God, and when they are taught by God, this is what 45 is saying, everyone who the Spirit opens up their hearts do come. God doesn't open up the heart of someone uh, in, in salvation, and then they say, you know what, thanks but no thanks. No, God is sovereign. He saves whom He will. 
here's yet another reason then why I had such a problem with easy beliefism, which, which again, if you're not familiar with that term, is the idea that all we got to do is just make Christ likable to somebody, and they, all they have to do is just believe. They don't need a transforming heart. Any sinner can understand what the Bible says about Jesus. But since we are all gone out of the way and cannot do good and hate God, no one will make Jesus Lord and Savior without the work of the Holy Spirit. So getting someone to just agree and repeat Bible verses, and I, I was raised in that, just to get people to repeat the Romans road, some verses in Romans, get them to just agree with you, and then presto, you're saved. You can do that with anybody. That, you can do that with your kids very easily, right? But that doesn't mean that their ability to judge rightly has been enabled, that they've been regenerated. Only one born from above, only one born again, that has been given a new set of moral values, will judge Christ as worthy of life. Alright, so I think that's summing up verse 14, but verse 15, things become a little more difficult to understand. The first part is pretty easy to understand. The spiritual person judges all things. Right? The word judge, as I said, is the same as discern in verse 14. It's the same as uh, judge in the latter part of verse 15. So the spiritual person can discern all things. And what does that mean? It isn't saying that if you are saved, you're going to always understand everything perfectly. That you're always going to make the right decision. That's, in a sense, sinless perfectionism. It means that since we have the mind of God dwelling in us, and we have been regenerated, and uh, God's will has been revealed to us, we have the ability to assess everything rightly. Now that we understand truth, now that we agree with God, right, when we see things going on, we can uh, assess it properly if we assess it by the word of God. This is the spiritual man can do that. We have all that is necessary to live godly in Christ Jesus according to our knowledge of the Bible. Our spiritual maturity is also, you know, how much we know in the Bible, how spiritually mature we are, all these things help us battle in dwelling sin. We don't always make the right decisions, but we are capable of doing that. We have the necessary equipment, the necessary tools to think and act rightly. But this then in turn helps us understand what the latter part of verse 15 is saying because this one, in our translations, you got to think about it for a minute. But he, that is the spiritual man, the ESV says, but, but is himself to be judged by no one. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's not saying that we that Christians know everything and we can't be corrected by anybody or we can't be judged by anybody. That we can say, well, look, you, you can't judge me and I do what I want to do. Of course, that's that's unchristian and, and unbiblical. It's, it's not saying judge not lest you be judged. So that we can go around and tell people not to judge us. The verse has a context. I'm not thrilled with the way the ESV does it. There's a reason for that. It, it's kind of doing it by saying but is himself to be judged by no man. It's like he's speaking to us, telling us that the lost person can't judge you. The 
still have to understand what the judgment means. The uh, KJV and the LEB, the Lexicon of English Bible, which I think I, I really like a lot too, translates it a little bit differently. Yet he himself is judged by no man. It's a statement of fact. And I think that probably helps uh, understand it a little bit better. What it's saying is that they simply don't get us. Remember, the word really means discern. So it says the we can understand and discern everything at, at, according to the word of God. The natural man, they don't get us. They don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. And so they can't judge us. They don't, they don't get it. That, that's the idea there. So it should be of no surprise when they don't get it. And we, and we don't want to be prone by that, which I think is what the ESV is getting at, that we need to understand that. And don't be prone by the fact that the world don't, they don't understand why you're in church today. Why you, why you're in church every week. Why you read your Bible. Why you live by it. They don't get it. And, and some, sometimes Christians get thrown by that. They don't understand it. Well, the, the, this verse is telling us why the natural man lives the way they do. So that brings us into the last two verses here. And there's two there's two big points in our message today, and I'm really towards the end. But we've dealt with the first one. And that is, being spiritually dead does not mean to be unable to understand but inability to respond properly. The inability to respond properly. Those who are not saved, it doesn't mean that they can't understand what the Bible is saying. Now there's a lot of things they don't get perhaps, but they understand it. Great, there's been a lot of theologians, lost theologians in church history who have spent their whole lives studying the Bible. But they don't have the ability to respond properly. There's a lot of Catholic theologians. I mean, Tons of them last fifteen hundred years or so, but they still go to mass and re-crucify Christ. Right? They they don't understand the gospel. They understand the Bible, the concepts of the Bible, but they haven't quite gotten it. And so that's the first thing. As stated earlier, his problem is not intellectual ability; it is moral inability. It is because there's something in them that hates God, that hates the truth, no matter how religious they might be. But the second thing I want us to understand before we close, that is important here, that we see, I believe, in these three verses, is how the Holy Spirit works in our, as a Christian, in our life, how he reveals God's will and truth to us. And I'm going to quote John Piper on this, not only because he says it very well, but because I think this is a radical idea that a lot of Christians really don't understand. I think, for instance, I think charismatics really struggle in this area, even those who would be truly saved, because they think that the Holy Spirit reveals things to us in a way that I do not believe is biblical. The word faith preachers like Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Myers uh, and not just heretics, but those of us who like to think that the Holy Spirit is somehow going to bypass our reading and study of the Word and just tell us what we need to know. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So let me just uh, give you Piper's quote. I think this will explain it all. 
and then we'll make a couple topics that we done. He says that the manual of operation for the Christian wartime mentality is the Bible. It contains the truth needed to win us over from the enemy to Christ, to deprogram our old thought patterns, train us in the strategies of righteousness, and to equip us with armor and weapons to defeat Satan and liberate his captives. I think we all would understand that pretty well, right? But we have a natural aversion to this truth, which is what I've been saying. The natural, we're born to this world not liking what we know, see about God. Therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit is utterly indispensable as we make use of this manual. First of all, we need the Holy Spirit to get us on the right side of things, right? But how, but now we can see more clearly what this work of the Holy Spirit is and what it isn't. This is important right here. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to tell us what the manual of operation means. The Holy Spirit's primary function is not to teach us what the Bible means. And I think a lot of people don't get that. Or they think the Holy Spirit is to just get bypass the Word of God and just tell me what it means. Or just tell me something. It does not mean that we must determine by a discipline, excuse me, let me start over. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to tell us what the manual of operation means, that we must, that we must determine by a disciplined study of the text. In other words, the Holy Spirit has already given us God's will, it's the Bible. He doesn't need to add to that. The Spirit inspired these writings, and He does not shortcut them by whispering in our ear what they mean. When we pray for His help, we do not pray that He would spare us the hard work of rigorous reading and reflection. I know so-called preachers who, uh, they don't have commentaries, they don't study, uh, and they say, well, you know, I just, uh, open the Bible and, uh, you know, I, that's all I need. I got the Holy Spirit. He just, he just preaches for me. They don't even use the Bible. I don't think that's what he's saying. When we pray for his help, we do not pray that he will spare us the hard work of rigorous reading and reflection. What we pray is that he would make us humble enough to welcome the truth. The work of the Spirit in helping, in helping us grasp the meaning of Christ's manual of operation is not to make study unnecessary, but to make us radically open to receive what our study turns up, instead of twisting the text to justify our unwillingness to accept it. I hope you grasp the gist of what he's saying there. What he's saying is that we need to spend less time pretending we don't understand what the Bible says, and more time asking the Holy Spirit to cause us to agree with God and not our own wisdom. A lot of people, the errors that they're in is not because they don't understand the Bible. It's because they don't like what they see. It's not just heretics, but we can do that. And so he said, well, you know, it could mean this, it could mean that. No, we know what it means. I'm not saying there's not difficult parts of Scripture. But our problem, what the Holy Spirit is doing is not reinterpreting the Bible for us, he's, he's working in us to agree with the assessment of God and not our own assessment. 
And I'm convinced that what that most of what passes for people's excuses of not understanding the Bible or going off into errors is not because they can't understand it, but that they refuse to accept what they see. Verse 16 finishes with, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Of course, the answer is no one. Only the Spirit of God, as he's already talked about. And he finishes by saying, And we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit. We have the only thing that we that can give us insight into God. I think it's a it's a, a a vague reference to Isaiah 40, for instance, verse 12. Who has made the waters of a hollow of the pan and marked off the heavens with the fan? He closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills of the balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or who, what man shows in this council? No, you really, we can't measure the earth. And yet, uh, and, in, and in a greater sense, we don't, we can't measure the Lord. Only his spirit knows God. Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the paths of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way understanding. So, we have that spirit in us. We have the Creator's mind in the spirit, giving us insight. That's just an amazing truth. But I want us to be, but what I want us to remember is that if you have the spirit of God, it is, are, do you agree with God? Do you find it profitable? Because don't tell me, I don't understand it. I'm not, yes, there are parts that we don't understand as well as we should, and I, you know, I realize that. But we understand basically what the Bible's saying. The issue is, do we agree with it, right? So I'll close with Albert Barnes, one of my favorite commentators. He says, the argument of Paul, he's kind of, the argument of Paul is this. No one can understand God. No one can fully comprehend his plan, his feelings, his views, his designs, as we just read Isaiah this. No one by nature under the influence of sense and passion is either disposed to investigate his truth or loves them when they are revealed. But the Christian is influenced by God. He has the spirit. He has the mind of God. Who has the mind of God? He sympathizes with Christ. He has his feelings, desires, purposes, and plans. And so no one can fully understand God by nature. So neither can he understand him who is influenced by God. That is, the natural man can't fully understand God in nature, and he certainly doesn't understand us, right, which is what we saw there in verse 15. And he doesn't understand the saint who is like God, and it is not to be wondered at that he regards the Christian religion as fallen and Christian as a fool. So while we have tried to deal with maybe some semi-difficult theological important thing, at the end of the day, the question we should be asking also is, which one of these describes me? Does the natural man describe me, or does the spiritual man describe me? And the answer is, it has eternal consequences, and I hope that God, each one here, has, through the power of the Holy Spirit, ended up in sin, come to know Christ, and go to the and God. If you don't agree with God, you have nothing to say for. Right? So we'll uh, stop there today. Any questions or comments?